Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. I am Emily Wallace and as always joined by John Pigeon and today we are talking about the housing situation. I feel like we've got ourselves in a little bit of a situation here in Australia with housing on both the rental and also the buying side of property and today we want to be solution focused. We don't want to be down in the dumps about what's going on with everything that you hear in the media. We actually want to be here to give you some insight on what you actually can do if you're a renter or if you're a buyer to make the process a little bit easier. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a a little bit scary times for people out there at the minute. But as you said, Emily, we're solution based and we've got a positive attitude towards everything that we we talk about, but we've got to be realist uh, in the same breath, don't we? Indeed. So hopefully you take away some key actions from this episode if you are in the rental or the buying market or maybe you're listening back to this episode at a later date i hope you find it helpful let's get into it So John, I think let's start with the renting side of property. About one third of Australians are a renter. They might be a rent vester. They might be a renter who's waiting for the opportunity to buy their first home. And I must say it's baffling how many people are lining up to rental inspections at the moment across Australia. This is not just a Melbourne or Sydney thing. This is across the board. And it can be a little bit stressful if you're jumping from one rental to another. Absolutely. It, uh, it can be for sure. And, and there is a bit of pain out there for people. It, it was like, it also reminds me of 12 months ago when, when there was 50, 60, 70 people at open homes in, in the, the major capitals and, and some of the regional centres to buy homes. It's now the same thing happening with rental, isn't it? And, and to the point where when I speak to property managers and real estate agents, they're, they're saying, well, if you're not on our database, you don't even get a look in. So they're actually taking just um, candidates from their database that have already applied for previous properties. So they're, they're advertising it, but they're sort of not really. Um, and that's, that's a concern. And, and we know there's not enough houses being built around the country. Um, I saw a figure that not long ago that that said roughly 10,000 homes need to be built per year. Um, that's actually a shortfall at the moment. So that quickly adds up. And, and the great Aussie dream is to obviously buy your own home and live in it and pay it off and all of that sort of stuff. But it's really key that investors like you and I are buying property and uh, facilitating this rental situation. And, and at the moment, there's just not enough about. Well, that's the biggest thing, right? In order for there to be homes for renters, we have to have investors. Otherwise, it just where would anybody um, be living? So it's a bit of a catch-22 in that regard. And sometimes I find it a bit morally conflicting, if I'm honest, when it comes to rent renewals and we're looking at an increase of rent, you know, rates are rising. We don't want to be greedy or appear to be, you know, taking from people unnecessarily 
Um, mm. But it also is an investment vehicle. I personally, as an investor, find that really a, a quite a moral challenge to navigate. And I'm sure there's listeners who might feel the same, who might be a serial investor or a rent investor with one or two properties, really unsure about when it comes to rent increases. Because at the end of the day, if their rates are going up, the money's going to come from somewhere, but you also don't want to kick long-term tenants out of a place they can no longer afford. Totally. It is a moral conversation and, and call it capitalism when, you've, when you're building a, a property portfolio and, and it's, it's there to build you personal wealth. Um, but you've got to see the other side of the coin and you are facilitating for some, um, somewhere to live. Um, I had a client ring me last Thursday that said, look, what do I do? Um, I've got a property in, uh, in uh, Brisbane and the, the rent at the moment is 630 per week and it's been a long-term tenant for the last four years. So they've been really good. They're, they're not doing anything wrong. They're paying on time. Um, the property manager has, has emailed saying the new appraisal for this agreement that ends in a month's time uh, is eight thirty a week. So two hundred dollar increase, wow. ten grand a year for this tenant that's um, that's been around for the last four years and 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 been a really good um, tenant for for this owner. So he said, "What should I do?" Like uh, again, morally, it's like, well, oh, look, two hundred dollars a week is a lot of money um, to come into your business as a as a property owner. But wow, two hundred uh, for the tenant is is a lot more in in their own mind and and. So I said, look, take it back to the tenant and and see what they're happy with. Like uh, they realised that if they were moving out, that they'd be paying um, close to eight thirty anyway. So the hassle of moving out. Anyway, long story short, they came back and said, look, I'm happy with seven ninety. Um, so they yeah. agreed on seven ninety. So he he felt as though yeah, that was a a, a win for the tenant. But wow, one hundred and sixty dollars a week increase is is a, a extreme amount, isn't it? It's massive, and I think that's the debate, right? Whether that tenant is then going to find themselves in a similar situation price wise in the same area, and maybe it is better to stick and take the increase where you currently are to avoid yeah. all the moving costs and the disruption of moving house again. Yeah. But I also think property managers play a key role in facilitating conversations between. Um, tenants and landlords to make sure that there is this open communication because in some situations, the landlords, they want a little bit of a rent increase to reflect the market value and to reflect, you know, where we're at, but they don't want to upset the tenant when they've been a really good tenant. So it, it can be fundamental that that communication comes really, really clearly from the property manager and no one's uh, getting mixed messages or messages that are misconstrued in the process. Yeah, totally. You're right. And it, and it shouldn't be an extreme whack in the face right there and then. It, it should be a gradual build up to say, look, your, your agreement, um, your tenancy agreement's ending in, in three months' time. This is what we're seeing out there at the moment, be prepared that the, there may be some sort of increase and they can start to get their head around that. But uh, yeah, so the, the only way to solve this is to have more rentals available really, isn't it? And, and to build more homes. Totally. So I think maybe let's talk about the practicality of being a renter in this low supply market because it is a little bit scary but I think there are some tips and tricks that might be able to help you along the way in going forth for a rental. And the first one that springs to mind for me, and maybe we go back and forth on a couple each as to what we think uh, could be a solution. But the first one that springs to mind for me 
is around how you present as a tenant. So in my mind, when you're going forward for a rental outside of being on the agency's database and maybe a past tenant of that agency, which could be a really good starting point, if you are entering the rental market in a new suburb or a new area and you've got sort of no reference point, I think it's really crucial to have a great cover letter that outlines who you are as a person, who you are as a tenant, even to the point of, you know, if you're someone who likes an active lifestyle and you have quiet weekends and you're a bit more of a grandma than a than a nightclubber or, you know, things like that that make a landlord feel better about the application, I yeah. think that that is the most underrated thing you could do as a tenant is to write a proper cover letter explaining your lifestyle and who you are. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is you're almost treating it as though it's a job interview. It's, yeah. it's that job that I'm going for that I need to nail. Um, yeah. Treating it really seriously. I love that idea. Um, yeah. Well, one, one thing that I think before recording this, I'm thinking to myself, what would I do if I was in that situation? Or, or if my son or daughter was moving out of home and they wanted to do this, like the, the first thing I would be doing is eyeballing them and, and, your cover letter and all that's nice and flash and, and but you're presentable, you're going for that job interview, you've not necessarily a suit and tie or or, uh, or, <laughs> or um, doling up as though they're going to a wedding but definitely getting in there and shaking hands and, and eyeballing and, and talking about what's happening out there and, and just really getting to know the property management team and, and selling yourself as this this awesome individual that's not going to let them down when if they get to get uh, live in someone's house. Most definitely. Another one that springs to mind for me and something that people might need to start considering if they're feeling like they're priced out of a certain area with the rents, often you will find, particularly in the apartment market, like two bedroom, two bathroom apartment market, it might make sense that one bedroom is actually for a couple and the other one is for a single. And so instead of just two people splitting the rent, there's actually three in the property and maybe the couple's room is, you know, a percentage more because um, they're not taking up necessarily more space in terms of the fact there's one bedroom allocated for maybe one or two people, but certainly they pay a higher amount than the single person. And that just might help even it out a little bit more. And if you're prepared to be a single person going in with a couple and you're happy with that setup, I must say, I keep my eye um, on this Facebook page called Fairy Floss Real Estate. And it's where people list subletting of their properties um, that have maybe a housemate leaving. And there's quite a few ones that are popping up to say we're happy to accept couples. Whereas I reckon two or three years ago, it was like one person, one room, we want, you know, less people with a house. Now it's like, how can we save money? Let's get couples in. Yeah. It's a necessity, isn't it? To say, well, yeah, can we get a four bedroom house and, and have not necessarily four couples, but yeah, the more we can divide the the weekly cost, the, the better yeah. it's going to be for everyone. And, and we're almost like, we're all on this journey together. Let's try and um, minimize our costs where, where we can. So that what you're probably saying is there's a, a bit of short-term pain. Like ideally, we'd love to live in a three-bedroom home with just, just us, but the facts are we can save $100, $200, $300 a week even uh, by just simply share share renting or whatever you want to call it for a period of time. Yeah, I think so. And another thing that probably goes a bit understated and this will probably lead into some tactics around how to get into your first home sooner. Mm -hmm. And we've touched on this many a time, John, but there is no shame at all of moving back in with your parents or a relative or anything that, you know, means going back home 
for a period of time until you can get yourself in the right direction. I feel like we've come a long way as a society around the impression of, you know, still living at home with mum and dad. Like what's more important is wealth creation and the steps that it takes to get there. And if that means you're living at home for a period of time, even an extended period of time, it doesn't matter. It's your journey. And if anyone's going to judge you for that, well, I'd question whether they're truly, you know, friends of yours. (laughs) But um, I just think that goes so underrated. And it's not a bad thing, particularly in this environment, to be considering your options. And maybe it is moving back home for a period of time. Yeah. It might be a bad thing for mum and dad that have to put up with you for a period of time. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a great way to have um, maximise your savings to the, to the point where you can fast track into a property. But even if it's not that for you, just, just saving money so that you can uh, invest in future you uh, in, in a sooner time frame. But uh, yeah, the whole moving back home is an ego hit, isn't it, for a lot of people? It's like, I want my independence. I, I want to be out with friends and, and don't have to tell mom and dad when I'm coming home and leaving and, and whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer for me. Like we, we, This generation coming through, we now expect like our kids, three of them, uh, we, we expect that they'll be staying at a home longer than we would. Uh, we would have done as kids, so it's uh, it's factoring that in and and just making sure they're comfortable. But by the same time, if you if you're 35 and still living at home and and getting breakfast in bed and not not um, carrying your weight, that that's probably an issue as well. But there might be just a bit of short term pain to um to get get out there and do that. Agree. And just one final thing before we take a break and move on to more of the buying side of the the um, housing situation. One little tip that some people might find helpful in particular areas of Australia is winter is generally a time where Airbnbs don't do so well. Like there's a lot of destinations that are summer-based destinations and the Airbnbs have really high occupancy in that time. But in the winter, they might only get one or two bookings a week. So it might be a bit more labour intensive, but if I was someone who was struggling to find a rental, my next point of call would actually be to troll Airbnb and contact the owners to see if they would consider a longer term rental. And it might be, you know, four to six months while you have somewhere to stay to then springboard into a proper long term rental. But if you are in between houses and, you know, one tenancy is coming up for an end and the, and the timeline is too tight to the next one and you can't go back and live with mum or dad or maybe you have no family in the state, that would be a very savvy way to approach um, someone who has a rental listing. It's just that they prefer short term than long term and maybe you could negotiate something for a, a couple of months to have somewhere to stay. Yeah, totally. And, and I, I think... An easy win, and again, we have to swallow our pride, maybe, or our ego, to to do this. Is to is to maybe look at well, and and I'm using the example of Adelaide because I'm in Adelaide at the moment, and mm. you've got like you take Prospect as an in, uh, inner city suburb, and and to rent rent a, a four bedroom home, for example, in Prospect might be say seven hundred dollars a week, um, generally speaking. If you went. Um, say one or two suburbs further out and it meant that was um, maybe five or ten minutes more of travel each day uh, or you worked from home so it didn't really matter where um, the travel time as such 
that's a that can be a massive win. When I when I look at a couple of suburbs further out, it drops back down to like four fifty five hundred a week. So that's ten grand a year that you're potentially saving just because you've um, maybe swallowed your pride a little bit. Agree. I think looking at those options further afield, or potentially looking at less desirable options in the area you want to be in. Like sometimes you see older houses that are a bit cheaper. You know, they might require a little bit more maintenance, or yeah. places that are a bit smaller, a bit cheaper. There are always ways around it. It's just, I guess, where your comfort of living sits and what you're willing to compromise on to get where you want to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, quick break and we're going to come back with some insights around the buying side in this current housing situation we find ourselves in and some solutions that you could look into to help you get into your first home sooner. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so as buyers out there, and there's a lot of them because we speak to them weekly, don't we, in our separate businesses, we're faced with a a bit of a a tricky situation where we've got fast-moving interest rate rises, we've got fast-moving cost of living um, at the Bowser, uh, in the shops, et cetera, et cetera, just generally to live. Electricity is not getting cheaper, neither is water or anything else. and that's impacting our savings to be able to get that first home, whether that be to live in or to, to rent out. But let's focus on the, the live-in part of it today. Um, what are, what what's some of the things that we can be doing as a, as a first home buyer or a potential first home buyer? I think the biggest thing, number one, is to understand what options can work in your favour when it comes to lending and when it comes to uh, grants and, and government incentives. A lot of first home buyers don't have the education or the knowledge around what they are eligible for. And some of these are state by state, some of these are Australia-wide initiatives. But particularly in the lending space, for example, I know that with certain lenders, um, accountants, for example, can go forward for a 90% loan-to-value ratio loan without having the impact of lender's mortgage insurance. Now, that's a big win because you only need to save your 10% deposit plus costs, in that situation. 
to be getting in the market sooner because there's such this misconception still to this day that everyone must have 20% to buy a house and it's just not always true. No, so I think absolutely. that's probably step number one, understand your options. Yeah, totally. And, and that brings it back to a, a really qualified, sophisticated mortgage broker, doesn't it, to, mm. to outline those options to you and do you qualify if you're a medical professional, if you're an accountant, if you're an AFL superstar. Like you, you can avoid those um, that saving that 20% deposit. And, uh, and the one that springs to mind for me is the 5% loan deposit scheme. Like, yep. wow, when, you, when you're talking uh, maybe a, a $700,000 property, for example, 20%, 140,000, uh, 5%, 35,000. Like that's, that's years off your savings time to, to get, um, get your first property. So that, that's seriously got to be considered. And, and what happens for clarity on that is the government covered the lender's mortgage insurance component. So yes, you might pay a slightly higher interest rate and yes, you'll have a larger mortgage on that uh, home in that example. But look, if you can service that and you can manage those repayments comfortably with your buffers, you've, uh, you've seriously got to consider it. One thing I think some buyers uh, feel a bit challenged by is the thresholds around some of those things. So people go, oh, that's all well and good, you know, um, but as a as an individual, even as a couple, we surpass the threshold of the income because they do have some thresholds around that. Or the property that we're looking at is actually beyond the purchase price threshold that the government allows. And so then the question becomes, what do those people do? I think another understated solution is understanding your options when it comes to a guarantor loan. Mm. Because if you don't meet requirements for government incentives such as the low deposit scheme or maybe you're looking at a higher purchase price um, so that you can buy something that's more of a 10 to 15 year plan rather than a five to seven year plan, if it is at all possible, I would really encourage you to consider understanding the depths of a guarantor loan. There's so many people I speak to about this who don't quite grasp it. Um, Now, I don't know if you know, John, because neither of us are mortgage brokers, but I feel like you have a bit more exposure sometimes than I do. Does it have to be a blood relation for a guarantor or how... Like, what's the extent of the relation of the guarantor? Yeah, generally speaking, it's a parental guarantor. So, yeah, there, there is that qualification there. But you're right, there's a lot of people out there that are a little bit flaky on the details and the confidence in, in being guarantor, and, and usually they're the parents, um, mm. and rightly so, because they're sticking their neck out saying we're, we're basically putting our asset up for, for, for the taking for our benefit of our child. Um, now, I think, yeah, it's, it's a great way to get into the market and it's a great way for mum or dad to help, you, help the children out, but it needs to be clear expectations at the start as to what's involved there. And, and, and if, I was, uh, if I'm mum or dad listening to this right now or you want to sell the story to your mum and dad, I'd be saying, look, let's sit down and map out a plan together and a time frame in which we can get that loan-to-value ratio back to 80% because that's essentially when we can release mum or dad from the title or the, the guarantor scheme. So what's our time frame involved? What's your cash flow management plan? Son or daughter, have you got your, your emergency buffers? Like it's really a solid uh, proposal to, to mum and dad to, to get it across the line and entertain it, especially if mum and dad's uh, unencumbered and there's no mortgage sitting around. Like it's, it's reasonably low risk, isn't it? 
Yeah, I agree. It's it's a low risk option and it's something that, yeah, mum and or dad can help you out without physically giving you a lump sum of cash, which I think some people are very fortunate that, that maybe they get an early inheritance because mm. yes. the parents want to see their kids in a home and know that where the money's been spent and, and be part of that piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But then there's also the group of campers that, they don't qualify for government assistance. They don't have the option of guarantor loan, but they're still earning good money enough that they, they're buffed out of all these um, thresholds. Then they kind of go, well, now what do I do? And just something that's sort of sprung to mind as I've been thinking as we're recording, a lot of it fundamentally does come back to salary and then obviously how you spend your salary <laughs> and how you utilise it. But Maybe looking at the My Millennial Career podcast episodes that spoke about how to negotiate a pay rise because sometimes one of the biggest things you can do is to instantly get more cash flow coming in is to look at your salary, look at the value you're bringing to a company and in the best way possible, and I have no no idea how to do this, this is out of my depth, but if you look at the My Millennial Career podcast, I know that there's episodes on this about negotiating a higher salary. Yeah, absolutely. Shall and M nail it over there. So, so take a listen to one of their uh, episodes on that. But you, you're right, and I, I think um, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to to last night when we ran the show here in Adelaide, and and a lady came up to me and looked, said, "Thank you so much for the podcast. Great information, great inspiration, motivation, etc." I've just bought my first house um, and it's uh, it's taken me two years to save a deposit. And I said, look, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what what how much did you save and what salary uh, are you on? And if I wasn't sitting down, Emily, I would have fallen over, <laughs> right? 65 grand a year salary and yep. she's saving 30 grand a year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? So she pulled out all stops to basically get that deposit in the quickest possible time frame because she knew the market was moving. She, she just had the motivation to get it done. Now, yes, she worked some overtime in her role, but she wasn't sitting there on $300,000 a year saving her, her 10%. Like she was absolutely just uh, baked beans and water to get through to get that result. Um, so, yeah, we do need to grit the teeth and, and change some things up. We need her on the show for an inspiration story, I think, to get some totally. inspiration that it can be done. That's yeah. an insane amount of savings. Absolutely it is, yeah. And, and at that tax rate, it's pretty low. So you do get a lot of it in your pocket um, because of the, the annual gross income. But yeah, okay, she reverse engineered and said, right, if I work uh, overtime twice a week for the next 12 months, this is how much I'm going to save over and above what my normal wage would be. So yeah, thinking outside the square and, and maybe putting in a few more hours and less play. Indeed, that's that's impressive. And I think all this fundamentally comes back to compromise. When you think about how soon you want to get into your first home or if you're looking at a first home versus renting, a lot of the the commonality in all these train of thoughts is what's my compromise? What am I happy with? What can I be comfortable with? Or can I endure some short-term pain to get to where I want to be? And I think that is the thing and this always fundamentally comes back to the millennial generation of the fact that we're not great at delayed gratification. We're really <laughs> not quite good at that and no. I speak on behalf of the the cohort of millennials that I know I'm exactly the same. We're both, you know, probably in the instant win game yes. of feeling like we want want to feel recognition. But it's amazing 
to hear stories, particularly in the Facebook group of people who have taken that longer term vision and it really has paid off. And to be honest, a few years in the grand scheme of things, when you look at life expectancy and how long you're going to live, it's really actually short term, but people feel it's a long time. Sometimes those longer term wins actually have a better feeling behind them. Yeah. Oh, the, the smile on this lady's face was just uh, from ear to ear. She was so proud of herself and so she should be. And yeah, it was just, as you said, short-term pain. It's not what you turn over, it's what's left over. So yeah, maybe some changes and, and really just make every dollar count. Um, but the, the motivation, if you actually need one, is to obviously set a goal and set a time frame around it. But the, the, the uh, motivation is, well, as the interest rates rise, my servicing reduces. So the quicker I can get into the property market with the guaranteed borrowing amount, the better as well. I do think we're in a bit of a sweet spot in the market as well at the moment where, I mean, yes, we know uh, rate, rates are gonna, probably going to continue to increase for a period of time. The market's pulled back a little bit. And I've said many a time, I think April to sort of October 2022 will be looked upon as a time where getting in was sort of vital. Yeah. As we always say, the best time to get into the property market was yesterday and the, and the next best time is tomorrow on the long-term view that property generally uh, goes up in value. But I do think there's this opportunity at the moment if people are in a position. Um, I don't like hearing the talk of, you know, waiting for the bottom of the market because the bottom of the market could also be met with the highest interest rates you've seen and so is that really beneficial to you? Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? Like started 2020, uh, analysts, media said property markets are going to drop by 30%. They actually went up 30% um, and, and more in some cases. So yeah, we don't want to be sitting around just trying to pick the market. Um, and we spoke about the first part of this episode, the whole supply demand issue. So mm. markets just simply can't tank when you've got a, uh, a huge amount of demand and a, and a lack of supply. And, and I don't know about you, but we're seeing some, some great opportunities out there at the moment because a lot of people are just sitting in fear waiting to see when these interest rates will stop and become a normal. Uh, but yeah, now's the time to act. And if you are a relatively new listener to the podcast and that sort of stuff does interest you in terms of market cycles and all that, we did an episode probably oh, maybe six months ago now with Kathy Stacey. Just scroll back through our list of podcasts and look for Kathy Stacey's name uh, yeah. or maybe Nath might put it in the show notes for, for people to access. Yeah. But there's a really interesting episode to look back on talking about the property cycles and, and how they work if that's up your alley. But that's a Big side note, I've got yeah. astray. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good side note. She's a superstar, Kathy. Uh, but yeah, very important just to make sure that mindset's right and we're not listening to all the the noise out there that can someone, some ways deter you from, uh, from taking some action. Indeed. Mm. Any closing comments on how we can get into our first home center? We've spoken about lending options. We've spoken about understanding the government incentives, guarantor loans, and potentially looking at a pay rise to have more income so you can save faster. Is there anything else that springs to mind? I think we've covered them pretty much high level, but it's it's if you're sitting there thinking, right, what are we going to do now as an individual? Like I always say to people, look, do what's in your control first and the things out of our control will happen regardless of our input. So what are, 
write down three things that we can do today that are going to uh, change the transcript for us over the next 12 months. So that might be not eating out as much or it might be moving back home or it might be moving in with three friends. Uh, it, it might be um, getting a renewed borrowing capacity so we've got a target to to aim for so that keeps us motivated when we're, we're sitting at home while all, all of our friends are out drinking and partying. We, we look back to our goal and say, right, I've got to stick fat here with this goal and I know that it will reward me like this lady in Adelaide um, to get that smile on your face and, and have the goal completed. 100%. Small steps, write them down, commit to them. Even feel free to share them in the Facebook group. If you want a bit of community spirit around this, we could even get a bit of a post going with what people are looking to commit to in the next 12 months to get to their goals sooner. I love that sort of stuff. I love seeing groups of people working towards something and keeping each other accountable. So if you're up for that and you're listening to this, jump in the Facebook group and tag us because we'd be totally down to see what you're working towards. Absolutely. The collaborative approach. Indeed. Mm. Well, I think that's been a pretty good discussion on the situation of where we all find ourselves. It's not dire. It's not all bad. It's just different. I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's different for people who haven't experienced a rate rise or a slight downturn in the market or a lack of supply in the rental market. And it's just that unknown factor that becomes known over time. And as you mentioned rightly so, John, you can only do what's within your control when you face things like this. So focus on that. And um, any particular questions you have about things you've touched on today always feel free to reach out and ask, but hopefully that's given you a bit of a good starting point to understand the landscape of the market at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're sitting in Melbourne thinking, yeah, I need some help finding this property, identifying that strategy for me to live in, then reach out to Emily. Uh, She's on the ground in Melbourne doing some fantastic things. So, And she's just added new buyers agents to her team. So she's rocking and rolling. We have. We're literally all over Melbourne. Kobe did 1,100 kilometres last month across Melbourne. Wow. (laughs) Wow. How much petrol was that? Oh, I don't know. Whatever whatever it was, (laughs) her allowance covered it. But my goodness, I reckon it's the most she's ever done. (laughs) Yeah, good on you, Kobe. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, have fun. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 